Welcome to Mystery House Sires and Apps. I'm Kevin Weir. I'm Erin Weir, and this is a teen drama funeral cast. Yes, we are now at the episode where we all have to think back about the the life of of Jughead and all that he meant to people. And we are finally four weeks later. We are finally four weeks later. Uh, turns out all the things we were seeing that were four weeks later are within about three days of his missing. Which almost works, except that I thought that some of those episodes had more than three days take place between them when we no, saw the flash uh, no, forwards. No, Aaron, uh, it definitely didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're not wrong in that. It, it, there, there's times where it should not have been four weeks later anymore. Uh, should have been like two weeks. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, yeah, no, it wasn't great. Although there, I think there's still one scene we haven't seen. And maybe they're just never going to show it to us. Maybe it was cut for time. I mean, uh, but I can't think of what senior. Oh, it's the fake police lineup. That's not a police lineup. It's just Archie. Oh, Betty, we're we're Brett and Donna goes. Yes, those are the ones who killed Jughead. Yeah, you're right. That scene. Maybe that was a cut scene from this one because, man, we'll. And this we'll... episode is jam packed with hacking. Oh man, twists and turns that that are neither twisty nor turny, and also a documentary. Oh, a, a docudrama, very, if you a very, will. Very, very bad documentary. <laughs> it's, um, oh man. Essentially, Alice has discovered YouTube, and she's making a Shane Dawson-style video series. Is my headcanon because there's no way she's making this for TV. Why well, do I thought? Yeah, no, she's making it for like it's like a how to make a murderer type thing, uh, <laughs> which is I guess is her. Her thing. Told you for this. Um, She's too busy being on leave. I compare this to so uh, it was you know a couple days ago I went over to Aaron's place and she was watching Grey's Anatomy. Oh, I sure did watch and that. And they were doing an episode where one of the actors was leaving the show, so the character was leaving the show, and it was this sad uh, retrospective on like their life and all they've done and where they came from. And this had a very similar feel. <laughs> Except that. Except undercut by a lot. Uh, (laughs) Also, this was maybe a better episode of TV than the episode of Grey's Anatomy. Well, I mean, this this episode still wanted to move forward with, then, I think the Grey's Anatomy one just sort of wanted to explain one premise over a long period of time. And it did want to reset its series. Yeah. Uh, No, this, this definitely, they wanted to move forward. They definitely did move forward we are certainly in a different space now than we were when the episode started yeah the characters are no but we are yeah nothing has changed for the characters but a lot has changed for the audience which is weird to watch which means this episode is will be terrible on a second viewing anyway uh, I think we should probably just get into it then because we might talk about this for a while yeah this could be a two-hour long episode we're sorry all right. Well, hey, this is Riverdale, season four, episode fifteen, to die for. To die for. There are still like seven episodes left this season. Yeah. Um. Uh, I guess they do still have to pick up that plot where Chick and Charles are working together. There's. A lot of plots that I don't know if we're just not going to see again or if we're going to get wrapped into this one. Though, man, this... This episode feels like it has, like... Or this episode, this storyline feels like it has, like, two episodes left. This 
arc feels like well this episode feels like it's trying to be like now we'll answer all your questions and it doesn't it answers half of one that one wasn't of, really a question because we were pretty sure that the truth was the truth we just needed them to yeah and it's almost did it almost feel like this show was making fun of its audience at a certain point yeah, it sure did, and we will pinpoint that specific scene. We begin with a quote, which goes somewhere along the lines of, Life's not an Agatha Christie novel. It's much messier. And Aaron, what sort of poet wrote that quote? Well, this quote is in fact credited to someone. Someone we know well. Forsyth. Jughead. Jones. Pendleton Jones the Third. And then they no, say... No, no, just very clear. Um, <laughs> I, don't um know, I don't know how I feel about you quoting your own character at the beginning of <laughs> your show. Including a thing that he has never said. <laughs> he... He has never said those words on the show. He, here's the thing, Aaron. Everyone in the show has said such nonsense at some point of times. If you told me that, that Jughead Jones had at one point said, Life is not an egg of the Christie novel, it's much messier, I'd be like... Sure, maybe. <laughs> they follow this up with the dates of his birth and the dates of his death, which makes me wonder, will this be on his tombstone? Well, I'll tell you what it did do, Aaron. It confirmed what year this show is in. Now. Now. It's but now. But also, anytime. <laughs> N- no, Aaron. It takes place March 18th, 2020. Yeah, but it's not our 2020. It's Riverdale's 2020. <laughs> So that's what we're going off of. This is some sort of alternate world type yeah. situation. Riverdale is a town I mean, that exists outside of time, like sh- Brigadoon. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's funny for one person. Um, I made that joke. I should clarify. I'm aware that Riverdale isn't real. I know it takes place in an alternate <laughs> world. Uh, <laughs> it's just a weird alternate world that is not dichotomous enough. I was mostly saying that that tells us when not only was Jughead born, but every person was born because they're 50. And what 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 it... It does a lot of things. There's a lot it of things. It answers a lot of questions, which is specifically Jughead is 18 and will turn 19 in October? I don't I know. I forget his date of birth. I don't I don't know. But he died in March. He died in March. Uh, and that fades into the Cooper Joneses. Being sad. Just sitting around a table. And then when the phone rings, it makes you think, oh, they're waiting for a call. But there's no way they were waiting for that call. They were just sitting around a table, sadly, looking at each other. Betty answers that call, and she responds with, this is she. Alice stands up in shock. (laughs) Cut into a Dutch angle. Cut into the worst camera that we will keep seeing over and over again. And we physically see these cameras as well, because we'll see... Very shortly, Kevin will set them up. Yeah. They don't look bad. They look like fine kids. Well, and not only that, the way that they're... Okay, let's just, let's just go, go through this. Throughout this this uh, episode, we'll keep returning to the fact that Alice is doing this weird pseudo-documentary. Remember, she's not working for the news uh, place anymore. So it's like a making a murderer-esque Shane yes. Dawson reveal behind the scenes. Yeah, they do reveal that pretty much it's her and she roped Kevin into helping it as well. So it's very, very low that. But the camera views we see, for some reason, they decided to take the footage that we have in their with their normal cameras, what they shoot the rest of the show with, and pixelate them. It's like if you were watching an internet video, not a YouTube video, an internet video circa 2003, 
and you dragged it or zoomed in to try to make it full screen. Yeah, like it these these cameras apparently have such she's it's not it's not even resolution is bad. The pixels are big. It's like, like she blew up the footage. Yeah. And I don't know why. Like, I think they're, the idea is like, oh, we'll do that because that'll differentiate between, you know, the cameras that we're shooting on and the cameras that are for the, uh, you know, for this for this documentary. However, they also put in the time code running and the recording light and the frame lines. Which are very crisp and clear. Yeah. So. <laughs> Just give me that. So I, we didn't also need you to pick. It gets really bad at the one point she um, interviews Pops because in the background, everyone is just four blocks, essentially. What they should have done was do this like OC style where the light is different in her video camera. Well, I mean, that would well, have been like stylistic and pretty. What they probably should have done is actually just shoot it on a worse. Well, shoot, shoot it on it. someone's phone. Yeah. Like, he, like, come on. You can. It's fine. We can get away with it. Just as long as it's the same. Like, ten, you can do 1080, but we see with different. I don't know why this is what they decide to do. It'll keep going back to it. We're done. We've said it now. So Alice interviews Betty in her bedroom in front of her broken mirror for drama. Yes. And it is revealed that Al- the phone call that Betty got was from Yale. You see, Yale has had a spot open up. So some girl they rejected way before they accepted Jughead because he applied after she got rejected. Yeah. They were like, oh. We'll take hers, which makes me think that's a fake phone call. It. Why? <laughs> Why do I think it's a fake phone call? No, we can't go over that now. I'm just putting that out there. Fake news. Okay. Uh... <laughs> then we get more documentary. Alice records in front of the city sign, Riverdale, a town with spirit. I don't yeah. know. She says some nonsense. Yeah, we get uh, we cut to Nana Rose with the interview who explains that the town was born in blood. She's interviewed because she's the oldest resident of Riverdale. That's explicitly why Alice interviews her. Yeah, sure. Uh, Then we head off to something that's a little bit more in what's going on in this episode, and that is that Cheryl is going to be obsessed with Betty for this episode. So Betty is at Pop Tate's getting some food, and Cheryl bursts on in there, hugging her poor dear cousin because the Blossom Curse has finally caught up to Betty. I don't know what she means, <laughs> and she that... will not explain what that means. But she will say, do not kill yourself. Everyone knows that you and Jughead are the Hamlet of Oph- and Ophelia of Riverdale High, which I guess means they hooked up once, and then he started ignoring her. And then she killed herself. Here's very clearly the thing. Um, Cheryl does has not read Shakespeare. She heard those names, thought they were cool, and heard that Ophelia drowned. Uh, which is why this entire metaphor ends with her cramming in the word drowning. Because apparently that's the only way she knows how to function, is to say a, is to say a metaphor that explain how it works later. So Betty does not want to be stalked by Cheryl. She no. would prefer to be alone sometimes because her mom's already stalking her. Yeah, but Cheryl, her way of dealing with uh, putting someone on a suicide watch is just to f- foist yourself upon them. So she declares she shall drive Betty to Stonewall Prep, which is where Betty is going to pack up Jughead's things. And we should be clear, this is the last time Cheryl will actually be doing this for Betty. She gives it up in about two hours. Though she does stalk Betty later. Yeah. Several but, times. But it, it feels accidental in a way. 
<laughs> All right, so Betty needs to go pick up Jughead's stuff, so she heads off to uh, Stone Hill, which is a distance away, and we will constantly be trying to figure it out. It is unknowable, but what is knowable is that this is one of the flash-forward scenes. Yes, Brett comes in to tell her to save your tears. No There's... one's here, Ponytail. <laughs> Brett not comprehending that he's there. so maybe she's doing it for you and all whatever Uh, also anyway he somehow knows that she is going to yale next year i just said man aaron he's a senator's son he's got a lot of stuff you know what of all the inconsistencies that will come up in this episode that's the one i'm least worried about during this scene also betty Packs Jughead's st- skull and quill pin, yep. but she doesn't pack it. She puts it in her pocket. Yes. And then she looks at Donna and Jones's room. Ooh. Ooh. Archie and Veronica have some sex, but then he hurts her hair, so they have to stop <laughs> mid-coitus. And then, <laughs> and then Veronica turns to Archie and says, were you thinking what I'm thinking about Betty? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, what? I was having sex with my girlfriend. <laughs> what do you mean you were thinking about Betty? Well, we don't get to unpack that because Hermosa just bursts in and then she sexual predators Archie. Yeah, Hermosa, who's 29, 30, 25. Definitely too old to <laughs> be sexing a minor. I think he's 18 now. Still. No, no, don't get me wrong. Still, still very creepy. She ogles that high school boy's abs and was like, I would also be late for school if I could have sex with Archie. I do like that her, that, that um, Veronica's response is, I know he's hot. <laughs> get out of my room. But no, um, Hermosa will be continually bursting into rooms <laughs> throughout this entire episode. Her entire modus operandi is to, is to come running through and be like, Veronica, I have learned things. And in this scene, she has learned that Veronica is under investigation from Bernard. But not for what? But not for what, because that is where her information ended. <laughs> she got information by calling the school and saying, hello, I am Veronica's mother. I, yeah, yeah, she pretended to be Hermione, and <laughs> and apparently they would be like, oh, she's under investigation for potentially owning a... <laughs> like, if if they got far enough that they thought you were her mom, you think they would also say why? You, you'd think, because she's still a child. My only thing is I imagine they did not think that she was actually <laughs> Hermione, and it was just like, she's under investigation, just... Get off Get off phone. the phone. <laughs> we're busy. <laughs> So now Alice records FP, and we do actually get some some details. Yeah. We learn that it's several days later after Jughead's been declared dead. We mm-hmm. learn that Colonel Jr. did the autopsy. It's a March 21st. And First we... day of spring. Ooh. March 20th, 21st? Yep. 20? Nice. And we do know that The Rock is not back from the lab yet, so when Charles was like, yeah, we'll send it to my <laughs> lab, it'll be faster. Two days. He lied. I guess it could be two days from that moment. That's true, because they did send the rock the day the Jughead's body was found, didn't they? Oh, Aaron, it's, it's impossible to tell. It's in three... Our, Jughead was missing for three days. He was found the night of the third day. I don't know when anything else happened. Anyway, FP also has a new lead. He just needs a warrant. Yes, and see, that lead is Donna. Ooh, Ooh. he's in Donna's room. Donna says, you can't be here, because she doesn't understand anything. <laughs> She may not know that Jughead's dad is the sheriff. But he's wearing the sheriff's outfit. He doesn't come in as a serpent. He comes in dressed in the police outfit. And he says, 
well, your headmaster let me in, and also I have a warrant. And then a bald man hands her the warrant. This seems to imply, this seems to imply, just so we know, that Stone that Stonewall, that wherever it is, is within the jurisdiction of... But he is a sheriff, which means it could be a county, because he's not a police chief. But he does, but, uh, but that mean is still within the county of Riverdale, which means he has definitely been shirking his duties for the rest of... Yeah, he's very he bad. He only focuses on Riverdale. Well, you know, there's all those other sheriff's deputies that we see sometimes. Yeah, but they're specifically used by Hiram. <laughs> That's true. Anyway, he says that he got an anonymous tip that she has something that belongs to Jughead. And he finds that skull and quill pin, and he somehow knows it's Jughead. It says it has his initials on the back. Oh, thank you. I was trying to figure it out. And <laughs> it, my... says, it says FPJ the third, which my... no other human being has those no. initials. My angle did not give me a good line of sight to that, and I was like, how does he know? No, he does a very slow turn. And it says FPJ the third, um, and then he then he's like, like ah, oh, I found this pin. Clearly, Betty planted it there, um, but it doesn't matter. But Donna responds with, "Yeah, he threw it in my face, and I forgot I had it." And, and then FP gives my favorite response that a professional sheriff has given to a teenage girl, which is. That's weak sauce, kid. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're damn right, FB. It is weak sauce. You're correct. <laughs> correct. So then Donna does a lie. Because <laughs> that's what Donna does. Yeah. She reveals that they were so scared of her. Her being Betty. Naturally, of course, Betty did a murder. Because they were in the woods, her and Brett, doing off doing the things that teens do, like Which, smoking the Mary Jane. Definitely that. Definitely not sex. Because <laughs> Brett may not be straight. <laughs> nah, who knows? Um, but... Uh, they but then they, they saw Betty and the other kids. What were their names? Veronica and Archie. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> and this is followed up by FP immediately, like five <laughs> minutes later. Kicks in the door to a science room and goes, "You three under arrest for the murder of Jughead Jones." <laughs> and that's not how any of this works. Well, I, I like to say at this point, I turned to Aaron and said. Okay, so, I mean, this is part of the plan, then, because there's no way he's that bad of a, of a sheriff, right? But then Betty is walking with her friends, and she's like, yeah, we knew this would happen. This is our escalation. Don't worry, guys. This is the escalation. I have to believe Which this, is a weird line. I believe that this is FP making a, making a call for his on his own, just being like, you know what? I see where we're going with this. All right, I guess I got to arrest them. Yep. They'll be fine with it. They know I'm with them, right? Yeah. So they're specifically arrested for murder. Like, openly and aggressively, he says, you are under arrest. And I can't get into the fact that he should not... That's not how you do that, because... Now, before the fallout, Alice interviews Pop Tates. Yes. Then, FP locks them up in the holding cell, and he's like, I'm going to interview you soon, and we're going to get to the bottom of this. Yeah, it's interrogation, one by one. We begin with Veronica, whose lawyer is her dad. But also, Alice Cooper is outside of the room, waiting for details from a source on the inside. Yeah, man, th this it's hard for us to, like, parse out, not parse out, but explain what's happening in these scenes, because they feel very juddery and very, like... It's a documentary, Kevin. But it's not a documentary. Only, only like, 20% of it's a documentary. And it's mostly just interviews with people explaining how this town sucks. Anyway, um, Veronica is first. Her lawyer is her dad. And he's kind of, basically, Hiram's like, 
FP, what the what? <laughs> also, I love how he, he is supposed to be a very rich, very well-connected man. They couldn't even just get a lawyer, like, extra in the room. Kevin, this all happened in, like, ten minutes. <sighs> well, Archie does have a lawyer, because it's his mom. And FP asks questions, and she responds with, yeah, he legally doesn't have to tell you anything. Yeah. Uh, and then... <laughs> then we have Betty. Who, who is not interviewed by FP. Well, not yet. Um, Alice has been able to essentially convince. She's like, I was able to use my um, my ins, that meaning, I guess, with FP. You know, to, her boyfriend. Yeah, to have a talk with her with the cameras off. So, we are reminded in this scene that Alice Cooper <laughs> is a horrible mother. Well, I mean, I would say in this scene, she may be a... Okay, mother. Not a great human being. <laughs> she tells Betty, I know you did it. I have, FP has proof, and I've been waiting for you to do something like this all along. What, what does... I'm, I, I cannot wrap my head... Like, how do we quantify someone who's like, Betty, I'm, I, knew, I know you're a murderer. I know you killed someone. I will help you, but I do know you're a murderer. There's no evidence saying you're a murderer, but I always thought you would murder someone, but I'm definitely going to help you. She does point <laughs> out that she knows what it's like to get passionate and angry and do a murder. I wish she did do. She did do that. Yeah. Um, but I just, I was like, how do you quantify that? I mean, she's standing behind her daughter by assuming her daughter is a murderer. Why does she always assume that Betty is going to do evil, devious, terrible things? <laughs> I don't know. Betty has given her no proof that she's going to do anything bad ever. She hasn't. <laughs> she has not. It's because her mom truly believes in genetic absolutism. And, you know, to be fair, we've been joking about, well, the serial killer dreams come from Alice, not from the serial killer. No, it definitely comes from Alice. No, but, I mean, she is actually a serial killer. Alice? Yeah, she's killed, like, two men. Um, I think she only killed one. Who's the second one? She killed this shady man. And she killed his in her youth, when she was a serpent. Oh, yeah, but that's a gang killing. <laughs> I don't really count. I assume Effie's killed someone. I don't. He's the worst gang member. Some of those serpents have had to have killed somebody. But not FP. <laughs> God. Uh, you then, uh, FP does come in and explains that, you know, they found the rock that, uh, but actually, there's just corn syrup on the rock. It's just some fake blood, so the kids are free to go. It's just some fake blood. And I started to worry, what if your daughter points out that she got Betty fake blood? I mean, we'll yeah. We'll discuss this later. We'll discuss, we'll dis oh, man, yeah, we'll discuss all of this later. Uh, Donna, because we're going to be cutting back to Donna and Brett doing, like, they feel like, do you remember Rocky and Bowwinkle? Mm. Do you remember the evil Russians who we Natasha cut? Natasha and Boris? Yeah, remember how we cut over to them and they'd be, like, like evilly scheming or reacting? This feels very much like those scenes. Like, I, not necessarily Rocky and Bowwinkle. This could be the same thing with Snidely Whiplash or, like... You cut over to the bad guys, and they're just kind of like, ooh, them good ones, we'll get them. However, Brett has, from my perspective, explicitly moved on from this murder plot. Yeah, has Brett gotten dumber? <laughs> he is playing video games when she bursts in this time. What, once they decided that Brett is not the big bad of, like, it, oh, it actually was Donna all along, um, he has greatly reduced in every, like, competent capacity he could be in. I mean, he was never very good at scheming. He mostly just shouted things. <laughs> Donna's also not great at scheming. <laughs> uh, anyway, he's playing video games and Donna bursts in and she's like, <gasps> They're free! 
<laughs> oh, FB must be helping them. Oh, he must be. There must be something going on here. Because we know The Rock didn't have fake blood. We watched Jonathan smear many rocks with fake with real blood. We have so many rocks <laughs> just covered in his blood. Some and people say that's evidence. I'd say that it's backup. Also, Betty's fingerprints somehow? Yeah. Uh, this leads to Donna calling Betty at 3.30 in the morning, which I think has, I don't know if they intended it to be funny, but has one of, I think, the funniest lines, which is where Betty just goes, Donna, it's 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> like, she's not even angry at her. She's just sort of like, do we have to do this now? <laughs> Can you creepily lurk at me some other time? Yeah, like, let's just, let's do this later, man. But Donna explains that Betty's fatal flaw now, because mm-hmm. she's had many fatal flaws, yeah. now it's that she's too confident she's working with that sheriff. Which means, of course, that Jughead is alive. That's a real leap there, Donna, considering you or Jonathan or Brett smashed him with a rock. Yeah. Don- and then rubbed rocks in his blood. Yeah. It like here's the thing, Donna's Donna's actual the leap she states is not a terrible leap. She says, Why would a father of a murdered child help the apparent murderer get away with it? The only thing that makes sense is that he's not actually dead, which I think is a great supposition on her part, but it doesn't follow from any of the other other information she knows. Especially because she knows that she murdered him. Yeah, she should be more suspicious of the fact that FP was so willing to take her word for it, despite the fact that his, that Betty had no motive, Mm -hmm. had like... her saying, oh, no, Betty killed him should have been an insane thing that someone who you just found physical evidence on would say. His girlfriend killed him because... because her, his girlfriend, best friend, and other girl <laughs> <laughs> killed him for no... I, I cannot give motive. I cannot give evidence other than the guy who I was apparently banging. They don't even, like, try to be like, oh, well, they had a fight, or, oh, she was jealous about Yale. Yeah. They don't even try to... But Donna seems to think that her lie got through to FB, and if she was like, oh, and why would he believe my terrible lie? (laughs) She thinks her lie's great. She cried so much. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Betty's like, no, Donna, please, I'm going to sleep. And then the next morning she brings up, hey, maybe we should have a funeral. With a wake. The wake. A coffin. Yeah. Um, FB is like, you plan it. And he runs off very soap opery. It's it, it's great. And so uh, she does. But first. You get some fallout from this whole situation. Hermosa taunts Veronica that she was arrested. And also throws a fake passport at Veronica. Just in case you wanted to get out of the country. In case you actually did murder someone. Veronica, Veronica did say, I've never killed anyone. And I'm like, there's no way that fire guy's alive in any like he's at the very least in horrible traction was that episode just a fever dream might have been a fever dream uh then we head over to archie at the gym none of the kids will come to the gym because archie killed that jones person well they hear rumors that he killed that jones person um and you know to be fair like this this fallout from a story is a very realistic thing It doesn't feel like it's going to be carried on anywhere. And it does seem unreasonable that he is the only person, apparently, who has ever been kind to these kids. And they are immediately willing to assume the worst because some person said something. Their their immediate dismissal is 
feels like it should have been attributed to some outside appearance. But like, here's the thing. It could have also been this deeper thing where, they, where like, they were always expecting that Archie was somehow turned out to be bad because everybody else they ever interacted with was bad. That's but never that, come up. That takes, that takes a lot of nuance and takes a lot of um, intricacy that cannot be d- done in a 15-second scene that I don't think they're interested in following any further. I'm just a little tired of this show immediately having random characters assume that our heroes are bads with no evidence or like like even when they found Jughead's cell phone in Betty's jacket yeah her parents were like oh clearly you're involved yeah it's it, it's a lot of very suspicious people being suspicious immediately for no and, reason and well once again, that could be done if there was done with nuance and done with interest in what characters... Because, you know, people do things for many reasons, but they don't seem like they're actually interested in seeing the reasons people react those ways to things. As I said with the kids, like, they might have very deep-seated issues, and they probably do, because they're all, like, you know, they're all they're all, all over twists. I think, though, even if the kids did have deep-seated reasons, I would still be tired of this because this storyline has been done. Oh no, it's been like done nine times every season. And I'm kind of glad they're not doing um uh the the this thing again. But I don't know why this scene happened. Well, we can forget about it because now Alice interviews Tony, and when Alice asks if Tony, Tony likes Jughead or if she's sad or Tony, something, tell me about Jughead. We had sex once. Yeah. Tony- That's when we became best friends. <laughs> Tony. <laughs> and she doesn't we spent the night together, um, which is just the way this show does it. Uh, I, it is, it is interesting that Alice is like, tell me what you think about this boy. And she's like, I remember how we had sex. <laughs> two years ago. <laughs> yeah. In season two. That is the only thing that bonded us because after that point, we didn't really interact that much. I mean, they did stage a riot back when Jughead cared about being a serpent and Tony cared about being a serpent. Yeah. Uh, then then reveal that Cheryl's also there, and Cheryl is not into this interview. Um, I actually kind of love Cheryl this episode, because Alice asks Cheryl how she feels, and she responds with, I don't care that they had sex. Well, Cheryl, this episode is doing what we would expect Cheryl to do, if except for the fact that they keep showing us other episodes where she does other things. But this is like secondary antagonist stuff she does in this episode, like be very selfish in an interview about a dead boy. Okay, but then she follows up by saying that she's very sorry that she called Jughead a hobo that one time. absolutely. And then she pauses and says she's very, very sorry. And I actually love this, because if there's one thing we know about Cheryl, she can't actually express human emotions. No, she can't. She can express, like, Victorian ghost emotions. And so I actually, against all odds... Really, really liked how they did Cheryl there. And I feel like they should do more of that Cheryl and less of Victorian ghost Cheryl. No, this this moment was great for Cheryl. I, I, I said that this, this this interview is very weird by the way they react to the questions, but the way the questions actually go and the way that they react to them are very good in character things. I this is you're you're absolutely correct. This is great. Uh then we get to the funeral. And I screamed and pointed at the screen and shouted the word sweet pea. Because it's Sweet Pea instead of Fangs. We have a momentary, uh, not introduction, momentary reintroduction of Sweet Pea into the scene. A new fighter has entered the arena. And then the Power Rangers burst into the funeral and Sweet Pea gets all up in their face and he almost has a line. (laughs) Until Betty's like, no, Effie said they could be here because this is definitely part of a plan. Now the only Power Rangers who come are Brett and Joan and Donna. 
Now, that's not actually surprising. I'm surprised that Joan is there, to I'm be honest. I'm also surprised that Joan is there. <laughs> she doesn't do anything. Um, the, the thing is, whatever... Whatever Power Rangers are in the scene are just whatever the ones they feel like. It's like it's like whoever was on set that day, and they're like, hey, Joan, you just were walking by. Why don't you come in here and be in a scene? Now Donna is instantly suspicious, for the coffin is a closed casket. And she's like, oh, but he's such a pretty corpse. And I'm like, is he? Also, weird. Because, <laughs> like, you guys mashed him in the head. Yeah, and some of us don't want to have an open casket. Well, especially because we didn't make this clear, but this funeral is in the Cooper Jones house. <laughs> they want all that cadaver stuff getting around. Yeah. You, don't, you don't get that smell out. And Betty's essentially like, look, it was really hard for us to get the coffin here. The funeral home did not want us to have it in our house. <laughs> all right, so we go through the um, the funeral and we first get um, FP and he's very emotional. He's it looks very... like he's got some real serious allergies. Yeah, yeah. His, uh, well, I mean, I, I think Skeel just cries by his face turning red. <laughs> Uh, he breaks down in the middle of his speech, and he runs off, so Betty pops up to do a speech. Oh, boy. Betty, because she doesn't know about subtlety, reads... She reads a quote from what apparently is one of uh, Jughead's favorite books, and that is The Final Problem. It's a Sherlock Holmes story, and she reads specifically the scene where Sherlock and Moriarty go tumbling off the Reichenbeck Falls together... They are dead. Their bodies cannot be retrieved. Now, here's the fun thing. As everybody knows who's pro- who probably watched the series Sherlock or knows anything about Sherlock, um, he didn't die. Now, now it's, it's worth noting, at the time, he actually did die. And uh, the original Sherlock Holmes author was like, no, no, I'm yeah. killing him, yeah. so people will stop asking me to write Holmes yeah, books. Arthur Conan Doyle was done. He didn't want to do any more. And then he decided to do more. So he brought him back, and it was revealed that that was all actually just a play to essentially deal with whatever situation is going on there. Mori- Moriarty stuff. Yes. So Betty, at this <laughs> at this funeral, reading the story about how, how Sherlock Holmes fakes his death for three years, two people who are in a literary program <laughs> at, at a prestigious school feels like either the most amazing taunt or the worst thing you could do. And I do want to point out... They do not appear to react. No, Donna and Brett don't react to the fact that she literally is describing to them the plot of what's going on here. And at no point will Donna hold up that quote as proof. No, she could have said it at the end when she's expl- like, <sighs> okay, it, they go through this. She, the funeral ends. Yeah. FP drinks a beer sadly in the kitchen and yeah. Hiram Lodge, Hiram's on up and makes actually a great suggestion yeah hey maybe you on bereavement leave <laughs> maybe you should stop investigating the murder of your son and let a different sheriff do that well, he, he actually says like you should go on vacation dude which is true and fortunately it comes from Hiram so of FP course, loses his mind FP is in. there's a lot of scenes in this episode like this where it's just like an off like they're kind of setting up something or reminding you of a storyline and then they kind of move on in this case they move on to Donna Donna is accosting Jellybean, shouting, When did you last see your brother? I know he's alive! Your brother's alive! Your brother's alive! <laughs> Which is a horrible thing to do to a little girl. I love it. It, 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 it says so much about Donna that I can't put into words that she is so sure of this very loose belief with no evidence behind it but her own, like, 
her own like I am sure that she goes to the sister of the deceased and goes, "He's still alive, isn't he? He's still alive." Which to a little like she's 12, 13. <laughs> she probably is hoping her brother is alive. Yeah. Horrible thing to do, Donna. Also wrecks the funeral. Yeah, also wrecks the funeral. So Betty's like, "Okay, you got to go. Stop yelling at this little girl." <laughs> and then Donna shouts, "Brett, do it now." <laughs> <laughs> Brett just runs over, shoves the plants off the top of the uh, top of the casket, and then people grab them because, of course, they do. <laughs> because because... <laughs> that's not gonna work. <laughs> now, spe- specifically, Sweet Pea grabs him, which is how why I knew that Sweet Pea was in this episode, not Fangs, because he's taller than Brett. <laughs> he's the only one who is. And then Brett's like, "She told me to." <laughs> you heard her. <laughs> you heard her. She told me, like, dude. Here's the thing. Even if we're not mad at you for doing it, we're still going to stop you. <laughs> you can't just open a coffin. Just because someone else told you to do it doesn't mean we won't stop you from doing it. We understand who told you to do it. We all saw it. She screamed. We all saw that she screamed at you to do it now, Brett. <laughs> but it doesn't mean we're not going to stop you. You guys need to leave this funeral. You, got, you, you guys got to go. Joan, you seem very sweet, but you should also leave with them. You're clearly here with them. <laughs> So meanwhile, her Hermosa Lodge did some investigating, and she found out that Veronica and Archie and Betty told their parents wildly different stories. Now, we did go over in the last episode that they're not wildly different. Literally, all of those things could have happened at the same party. And we do know they all know they're at the party, because Alice does, at the beginning of the documentary, explain they all went to a party. And, of course, the Stonewall prep kids, the Power Rangers hate them. So why wouldn't the Power Rangers take many different opportunities <laughs> to steal their clothes? Well, I mean, even if it wasn't just the Power Rangers doing it, all those things that happened at the same party. Now, that's not really the thing we want to get on now because we went on in the last episode. What I want to get on the fact is that the way Hermosa apparently did this was by arriving at... Uh, well, she got it from her dad easily enough. She asked him. Yeah. But she arrived at... Uh, God, Alice Mo- Cooper's a- door Alice and Cooper's Molly door. Ringwald Andrews' door... And they don't show us how she got the information. They just show her us. How, they just, just show her like barreling into their houses. I mean, kindly. Yeah. Well, you know, we we see how she gets in by. We see how she gets the excuse to get into the house. But I do not know what process she went to to be like. Hey, by the way, the night that his friend disappeared, what was he doing? <laughs> yeah, it's super dumb. Because she get because she gets into Alice's by bringing food, and she gets into Molly Ringwald Andrews by being like, "Can I get some legal advice?" Yeah, it's. They waste a lot of time on this, and I'm not interested in wasting that much time of our podcast on it. Yeah, it's it makes no sense, but she has the information now, and she'll, oh, she'll find out more information. So I thought Betty was kicked off of the blue and gold when she cheated, except didn't cheat, at Quiz Bowl. Well, she is. She still has the key to the room. So she's hanging out in the blue and gold, doing stuff. <laughs> in the last episode, they also hang out in the blue and gold. She, they just didn't take the key back. And Kevin busts in. He's like, everyone thinks the Jughead is alive. And we're like, what What do you mean everyone thinks Jughead is alive? And he, the only person he can quote is, well, Donna Sweet told me he was alive. And we're like, you mean you heard her shouted at the funeral? And then cut to the fact that, yes, everyone now thinks that Jughead is alive. Well, everyone is Kevin. And Reggie, in his one scene of this episode, one amazing <laughs> classic Reggie scene. Yeah, where he where he's upset because he thinks, yeah, this would be a great prank. I wish I was doing this prank. And I'm like, yeah, that's comic book Reggie. That's classic. That's classic, very good. Very good Reggie in that. That's a good crystallization of that character right there. 
Hey, Aaron. Hey, Kevin. What did you learn this week? I looked up drag Devil's Breath. Ah. Yes. Uh, so, some things with Devil's Breath. It does exist. Is in... it a drug that you can blow in someone's face and somehow knock it on your face? Yes. Um, oh. I mean, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, the, the reason I say yes and no is that it is a mix between an urban legend and a real thing. So, it is... Um, uh, it's essentially it. It exists based um, on this from this plant that contains a chemical similar to um, uh, was it scopolamine? Scopolamine. Scopolamine. Sure. Um, it can lead. It's a compound that leads to hallucinations, frightening images, and a lack of free will. Amnesia can occur, leaving the victim powerless to recall events or identify perpetrators. Now, here's the thing that essentially it's been around for a long time. The idea of this hmm. this thing, um, and the the urban legend version of it says things like um, like like oh, there's business cards that are doused in it, so when you touch them, um, you all of a sudden will be like like heavily drugged. Uh, by this thing, or it can be blown into people's faces. That is actually very common with people being blown uh, into faces or soaked into business cards, r- rendering you know tourists incapacitated into a zombie-like state where they have no control over their actions. Now, I'm just gonna say, I'm very impressed. The show picked a real thing. I mean, you know, a real urban myth, and they didn't make up their own dumb urban myth. Yeah. So the drug does exist. Um. The 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 part where it starts getting to urban legend stuff is this specifically the thing about blowing the faces or soaking things in it. Do you know what? Um, uh, funny enough, what scopolamine is used for? What it is used for seasickness. You know those tabs people put behind their ears? Oh yeah, that has scopolamine in it. Ah, so it is something that can be absorbed into into the flesh and it is absorbed that way, and it can be done like that. However. The idea that they can just blow it into your face and you would be, like, zombie-like immediately, or that they could do that anyways, doesn't really match up with the how strong it is. When it can be put into dissolved into drinks, much like a date rape drug, like mm. Rohypnol, mm-hmm. um, and that is about right. It could be done that way. Uh, but the actual, like, immediate zombie-like blowing into someone's face is... Unlikely from a pharmaceutical uh, standpoint. So that really falls into the urban legend thing. Now, I do want to say, we do give a lot of guff towards this show for being like, oh, well, that's not true. You definitely didn't research it. That is a fine advancement in in this thing. I Yeah, I'm totally okay with them taking a real drug, real drug's name, yeah. and applying an urban myth usage of the drug well, yeah, because ex- it's a drama. Ex- like, ex- it's not real life. Yeah, turning it into a hyperbolic version of itself, I am fine with. It's the same reason why I'm fine with silencers on guns. Yeah. Like, I want. I kind of – it was a good thing we brought this up because I didn't want to – definitely, we're not going to start making fun of them because this thing, like, like oh, doesn't exist. That being said, of course the blowing thing doesn't work. You, if if this thing knocks you out immediately, you can't bring it up to your face where your nose is and blow it and not have it affect you as well. But this is a way better scene than what I guess real life would have been, which would have just been, like, Donna, like, pressing it behind Betty's ear and holding it in place until she goes down. Well, I mean, she wouldn't have gone down either way. Like, the... the Or, like, forcing some Benadryl down her throat? Yeah. Get tired. They, they, they said that if, if the blowing would work, it wouldn't be immediate. It would take 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just picturing Donna, like, sitting on Betty's chest and, like, pouring liquid gravel down her throat, being like... Get drowsy. Yes, this will work. You'll definitely forget all of this. 
Um, great work, Riverdale. So Betty is sad. At Pop Tate's. And Archie comes in. And this is also a scene from a flash forward four weeks later. <laughs> but what uh, we didn't see last time is Cheryl Blossom was eavesdropping on Betty and Archie's sadness. Yes, because everyone thinks he'll come back, but he'll never come back. So what does Cheryl do? She makes a memorial for him on his locker. And then Betty is sad by this memorial, so she runs into the music room. And Archie also runs into the music room, and he hugs her, and they comfort each other, and they're standing perfectly framed (laughs) in the window of the door. So that when they kiss, Cheryl (laughs) can take a photo of it and then text it to literally everybody. Tony, Kevin, Reggie, and more! more. (laughs) (laughs) According to the the line. I think she... no, I didn't look at Cozy. Did she put hashtags in her? Yeah, in her, she put in hashtag Barchi is coming. In her text. Okay, okay. whatever. Uh, but you know who she doesn't tell immediately? Veronica. No, Veronica, because Cheryl feels so bad about this. Not bad enough to spread it off to everything after one thing she saw. But she wrote a text message to Veronica and then was like, no, no. I have to show her this picture in person. Yes, so Veronica is infuriated. And she storms into the student lounge where Betty and Archie have left their kissing in the music room and now are just sitting there laughing like normal, yeah, non-sad and people. everybody who knows is just sort of sitting around them. Not questioning anything. Yeah, nobody else has decided to be like, hey, Kevin hasn't decided to be like, hey, Betty, uh... Can I talk to can you? Can we talk for a minute? Because this seems like a thing. No, in this public space, Veronica comes in and just starts... Railing First, she's like, Archie, how dare you take advantage of your sad friend? And then Betty's like, I took advantage of him. And then Veronica's like, how dare you? How dare you all? I am Veronica Lodge, and I curse both your houses. (laughs) And then Tony pops up. Yeah, you tell them. (laughs) I'm like, okay. Well, that was performative. And then then for some reason, Alice... Decides to interview Kevin about that fact. Like, oh, well, why did you think that Archie and uh, Betty were dating? And Kevin follows up by saying, well, many people wanted this. Many people have always wanted Barchie, and they were very upset by Bughead. Yeah. Bughead was never supposed to happen. Yeah, they said it was supposed to be Archie and Betty. They said that, and then he looks direct. It's good to do a documentary, because he could look directly at the camera. And he looks directly at the camera, and he says, well... This proves one thing. <laughs> Jughead is definitely dead. Because as if Jughead was alive, this would never happen. <laughs> and at which point, me and Aaron started screaming because this was, because this, I guess this was the plan. Although we did ask, does Veronica know? Yeah, I'm like, wait, is Veronica in on the plan? It's unclear. I did like that Veronica told everyone in the school that she and Archie had sex in the music room. Oh, and also that Archie and Miss Grundy had sex in the music room. And also she thinks that Betty and Archie had sex in the music room, which is the fastest <laughs> sex ever. Man, nobody nobody should touch anything in the music room. No, we it's, need to get some Clorox it's wipes covered in there. In so much Archie. <laughs> so, um, in the middle of the night, Donna visits Betty at the Blue and Gold. Yeah, because... It's real dark. Of course she would be there, I guess. And she wants to confront Betty 
again about Jughead being alive. Oh, she still thinks, oh, she knows you got everyone else not believing it, but I still think Jughead's alive. Why would I shout at a grieving sister if Jughead wasn't alive? I'm going to be watching you, Betty. I will watch you. I will know he is alive for I will watch you. I know that he has to be close because you and him have sex so much. No, she does not say they have sex so much. She says, I saw the sex tape and your sex was so good that <laughs> right. I know you must have, you cannot go two hours without sex. It just seems like Donna's really sexually repressed. It's so gross. It's so gross. I, I I was trying to be nice on the assumption that they, maybe, they, maybe they actually, the tape had a bunch of them having sex on it, but... Okay, fine. She just says the sex on that tape was so hot that you must gotta have more of it. This really makes me think that Donna has to have a crush on Jughead. There's no other explanation. So she's just gonna keep following her. And so Alice interviews Betty, and now Betty's like, oh yeah, she was definitely following me. And the thing is, I was sneaking around. I was going to the sex bunker. I took Pop Tate's there. And then Donna followed me, and then Donna enters the sex bunker, which we should clarify, you cannot enter stealthily because it is... It's so loud. Because it's a bunker. Uh, and she gets down to the bunker. And uh, Betty is making out with a shirtless Archie. Betty's shirt on. Archie shirtless. <laughs> Betty is wearing the same shirt throughout all of this. Mm-hmm. Like, Donna was very bad. Essentially, Donna was like, I'm going to follow you everywhere. And Betty was like, okay. <laughs> this seems like a very easy way to lure you in the exact situation I want to get you in. Okay. So she sent a text to Archie, I assume. Went and got Pop Tate, so went to the sex bunker, and then went home and told her mom what happened, because she's wearing the same shirt through all of this. Yep, yep, yep. Q. Uh, Alice asking the question, how long have you been meeting up with Archie? And Betty's like, Mom, you know what? I think I should tell you something. You got to turn off the camera. <laughs> you got to turn off the camera. Uh, cut back to Alice doing her making a murderer talking to the camera. And she goes, little did I know, this was deeper than a conspiracy. I mean, it was a conspiracy, <laughs> but it was also about friendship. Yeah, you know what? We'll say she said that. <laughs> You're paraphrasing. I paraphrased wildly, because all I wrote down was, AC does a friendship slash conspiracy monologue. No, she says this is more than about murder. It's about friendship and conspiracy. But first, we see Veronica and Archie in his bed after sex going, do you think the gambit worked? And I'm like, it probably would work a lot better if you guys aren't having sex on the same night. In his house. It's a good thing Molly Ringwald Andrews is in on this. <laughs> Can we just seem to apply that like the, the rumor that Jughead is alive spread in half a day and then the rumor that Betty and Archie are dating spread in the other half of the day. Despite the fact that like it was pretty clear from what Cheryl was watching yeah. that that was their first kiss. <laughs> so uh, yeah hey look there's the reveal uh, actually it uh, turns out that oh that was a whole gambit. Gambit for what? I don't know but Veronica's worried. Did feelings come up when he kissed Betty? Oh my god, is this the time you're do we're doing this now? So Barchie is coming. We're doing this now, and this is how you want to do it? Archie okay. responds with, Veronica, don't you know? I've never loved anyone, and I will never love. There's no girl for me but you. <laughs> Which he has said to, I think, every single girl he's dated. Josie, Val. Miss Grundy. Mm. And then cut to the second reveal. It's Betty. In the bunker, and there's someone next to her, and she's talking, and it's 
This, this Jughead. Jughead's it, alive. It's a very healthy-looking Jughead. He does have a little bit of a bonk on it's his a, head. I mean, to be fair, it's a pretty solid, like, There's a stitch. There's some good stitches. Yeah. But they mull over the week, and Betty's like, you know, it's just a game of confidence. I just have to keep being confident, and eventually it'll come forth that they did try to murder you. Yeah. Essentially, it is a bunch of lines where they explain the situation. We hear that he was, he was hit. His beanie technically saved him. Uh, which means those kids are so bad at murder. <laughs> they didn't even test it to make sure he was murdered. Um, and then Betty, they, they they have this conversation like this should explain all the questions you have. Betty does explain all who's in on it. Which is all of the adults you would expect. Charles, Dr. Curdle Jr. I don't think you say all the, char- all the adults you expect because... <laughs> Charles, Dr. Curdle okay. Jr., yep. F.P., Molly Ringwald, Andrews, and yep. Alice. What other adults would you expect to be in on it? Well, <sighs> What other adults would you expect to be in on it? No, I mean, that's fair. Then who else is in on it, Aaron? Jellybean. Yeah. Okay, now, they say this like they should explain things. It explains nothing. Like, so Cheryl, Cheryl did all her stuff because that's Cheryl. Yeah, they just expected Cheryl to act in the way that they expected. But how? <laughs> <laughs> How could you expect what Cheryl did? She did a sweet memorial for Betty and then... <laughs> I think Betty and Archie were just playing on making out in places near where Cheryl was. Ma- it would have just gotten more and more obvious. Like, eventually they would have been on the memorial kissing. I love the idea that they were like, okay, we'll do this around her. We can't make it seem like we're actually... Ha- like, this is going to happen. We gotta just, like, do it. I like to imagine that even that talk they had at... um. Pop Tates, they've done about three times. Just hoping. Just, and around her, and she just never noticed. She's always been like doing her makeup or something, or like talking to Tony and just never noticed them doing and it. Like, why isn't she picking up on this? We're so obvious. And then they're like, okay, so we're probably gonna have to do a few of these kisses just in the area, and maybe Cheryl, maybe someone else will catch us, but someone's gonna have to catch us. Someone has to catch us eventually. Um, though it's while they went to the music room, no one ever catches anyone in the music room. <laughs> Archie knows that. That's true. Well, I mean, they did stand in front of that door, though. They always stand in front of them. Remember, Aaron? Aaron, you cannot be the one to say that. The amount of times that you think someone is watching someone in the music room. I know. The way they do it. But this time, someone was watching them. They they act like this should answer all the questions, but it only adds so many more questions. Yeah, it answers very few of the questions, actually. Yeah. Like, okay, so they've known. How long have they known... For, I'm. I have to imagine that we're going to get more explanation next episode of when, because we know when Molly Ringwald Andrews found out, and yes. we know when Alice found out. Yes, we know nothing further. Yeah, so which means the entire time. So when Charles and got the did like the rock switch, just this is one example. When Charles did the rock switch with the FP, did did FP not know at that moment? Because he or are they trying to not implicate FP as much as possible because he is a cop? Well, yeah, but the conversation they had, where where Charles was like, "Oh, we should do a switch. We'll say it to my thing," or maybe Betty was, maybe Betty was genuinely worried that her fingerprints would be on it, and then FP wouldn't believe. Like FP would be like, "Well, why why did you hit Jughead, and now you're trying to?" But you understand how that doesn't that means that there's like an additional layer of lying within the layer of lying. And when you have a conspiracy with that many, it's it's it adds to the I just feel questions. like, you know, you wanna keep you wanna keep the people on the fringes of the conspiracy knowing as little as possible. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's so n- they can tell the truth. What they believe to be the truth, not lie. 
Yeah, I I don't think we can go with that for this. It does it doesn't work. It is it's Anyway, what's more important about the scene is that Betty learned how to knit in 0.0 seconds and made Jughead a new beanie. Yeah. And he's going to put together the pieces of the mystery, which I assume means his book, but may also mean why is Donna doing what she's doing? I don't think it's his book. <laughs> well, there's no mystery left. We know what happened. They hit him in the head. No, there's so much mystery left. There's the entire thing with um uh uh, ch- uh chipping. Ugh, I'm over it. Well, no, but that has to be evolved in this. The entire quill and skull chipping, the missing kids from before, all those things have to be involved in this, because if they're not involved in this, none of this makes any sense. They're definitely not involved in this, and you're going to be disappointed. Anyway, <sighs> Alice Cooper interviews Veronica. Alice asks if Veronica wasn't... Wor- now Alice's documentary is about the truth. Yeah. And so Alice asks if Veronica was scared that there was an actual spark, and Veronica says never for Which a is moment. A, that's a weird thing for Alice to ask in the documentary, right? Not anymore. You know Alice likes crying <laughs> to her children's life. Okay, fine, fair, whatever. She asked Kevin about why they all believed about Barchie. Yeah, I also think that's a weird question for her to ask. Eric, those are not mutually exclusive. Those are both weird questions. It's very in character. <laughs> Uh, anyway, this is overlaid with Betty and Archie texting each other, and I think we're supposed to be concerned, but I'm not. I am. Of course, they're, this, this is what they're going to do it now. This is how they're going to get that started. It's I nonsense. I don't think they're going to start it. I think they're just going to tease it and then drop the storyline, and it'll be unsatisfying on both fronts. <sighs> well, we do... We do there is a little, like, behind-the-scenes thing that I think... Well, not behind-the-scenes, but, like, uh, a, an Easter egg thing there, which reveals that the way that Betty asked Archie that they have to do the kiss thing was through a text message about... And then said that he... That, you know, she'll owe him a milkshake, which is a very teen way of doing conspiracy, I think. Also explains something. But first... Does it? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what it explains. Okay. So Alice Cooper asks Betty and Veronica and Archie why they did this and betty's like because they were trying to pin his murder on me <laughs> well also they tried to murder him i Mom. like how that wasn't her first her first car i was well also they tried to murder him and if we didn't do this they probably would just try to murder him again they do seem to have no compunctions about murder yeah yeah they i i i, I of the weird of the crazy things and the over-the-top things these kids have done the faking his death because they tried to kill him was actually probably one of the least ones because they have no evidence other than him saying it, which in this world may not have worked. Um, and two, they would just try to kill him again. I mean, in any other world, it'd be insane that they would just try to kill him again. But we know in Riverdale, killers do not stop until their victims are dead or the killer is dead. I think it would be... Um... I mean, well, that depends on the reason why they want to kill him, though. Why do they want to kill him, Kevin? That is a question. That is the mystery, Aaron. It has to be involved with Quill and Skull. Okay. Meanwhile, Donna bursts into Brett's room again and says, Brett, stop what you're doing. And this time he's cleaning his watches? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Donna still thinks Jughead's alive, but her reasoning is very flimsy. It is that there were... Three milkshakes in the bunker. She could not find any other reason why an extra milkshake will be there. Now, not don't... the fact that Betty owes Archie a milkshake and so bought him two milkshakes. I mean, that's not really how that works. Now, I, 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 
Aaron, when you owe someone a milkshake, you buy them one milkshake. This is Archie Andrews. He needs two milkshakes. Donna, He's a robot. That's actually what um, Brett says. Brett says, like, what? There was an extra burger? You see the size of that guy. Maybe he wants two burgers. So it's unbelievable that he would have two milkshakes, but totally believable that he'd have two burgers. Uh, I mean, a milkshake is a lot, a lot more than a burger. Um, I know her, her reasoning is interesting. And once again, this is the moment where she could have brought up Betty taunted me by doing the final problem at the at the wake. Like, if they want to keep her, you know, that she's going wild, that's a perfect thing for her to grab off on. Not that there were three milkshakes there. Brett is like, that is the flimsiest reason ever. You need to calm down. But then Donna uh, asserts her dominance, essentially. By slapping him and saying, I can make you murdered just like I did to Jonathan. So I guess Jonathan was killed off screen <laughs> for a reason... That hopefully will become clear later. Maybe he was upset that he had to smear all those rocks with blood. Yep, kept having me smear rocks with blood. Maybe he did a real like Lady Macbeth and just kept walking around washing <laughs> his hands. Yeah, I mean that's the best example that I could come up with of why they would kill Jonathan. He must have been thinking about turning on them. I but mean, man, they... he's, he's a wild line to just bring up right there. Yeah, she definitely says that they killed him. Yeah, he, he dead. He's full dead. Another thing that's going on is Hermosa is a private investigator. She did pose as one at one point, didn't she? Yeah, I guess she does it as a hobby. It's kind of like her, it's her side hustle. Yeah, she runs a liquor business. And also is a, <laughs> a PI. And apparently she dug up some really good dirt, specifically about Donna, who's not so sweet. Yeah, so when did, her, when, when did Veronica, I can't, we can't get into that. I can get into when things happen to things. This episode is wild. <laughs> Should I figure out when Veronica asked no, her to No, I know. Do I'm that. also looking at this. Because it, it seems implied that she found it after their last talk. But their last talk was, like, about how Hermosa got all the story. Like, the, the people were conflicting. And if Veronica isn't... Maybe like, Veronica did something great and was like, you want to do some real investigation? Here's a real story to follow. Yeah. It's been a nice scene to see. Anyway, what, speaking of things we don't see, we also don't find out what Donna's secret is in this episode. No, that will be revealed later. Probably at the beginning of next episode, because you know we don't pay things what, well. That is what they do. They do tend to reveal things immediately after it's done. Oh, man. So, as I said at the beginning, this episode is very scattered, and it's very weird. And we sort of went through it... As best we could. Kind of as best we could, but honestly, the episode was a lot of just stalling to get to the point they clearly want to go get to, which is the reveal that Jughead was alive. But then everything after that didn't answer anything. I don't feel like I act like I now know that Jughead's alive, which is fine. I always knew Jughead was alive. But I don't feel like I've gotten any deeper into the conspiracy. And I'm very curious about what of their plotting has been rolling with the punches and reacting to the things the preppies have done and what has been his actual because it they're, they're it, cosmic brain planning it is implied on the show that Jughead knew they were going to try to murder him is it implied on the show I was going to say that I don't uh, so you think his plot was just to go to the party wearing a bunny mask no here here's here's what I'll say it is implied it is somehow bo implied both of those things because him being at the beginning, him being like, um, you know, all of us like, oh, do you trust me? Do you trust me? 
that that yes it is part of his plan but while they're actually talking betty says thank god you wear that beanie which means they were not expecting them to kill him I guess they must have thought that they were going to escalate it somehow and he was going to get some sort of proof. But not straight up murder. I guess. But that but that doesn't make sense as to w- at what point did they get Archie because Archie takes his pulse and says he's dead. Which means that Archie either messed up taking his pulse Archie or... is a robot. Yeah, I mean, yes, he doesn't know what pulses are. Or they, t- or they somehow got him involved beforehand and he just rolled with the punches. <laughs> I mean, I will say that pulses, especially from someone who are unconscious, are notoriously hard to find. They don't even teach you how to find pulses no, in first I would, aid anymore. I would, I would, I agree. Pulses can be hard to find if you're not trained in finding pulses. And Archie is both a teenager and a robot. He is a teenage robot. I won't expect him to find a pulse. But this just just pulling back for a moment for the show. If the show's excuse is going to be, oh, he just missed his pulse and said he's dead. That's kind of a lame thing for the show to do. I guess I'm much more bothered by the fact that Veronica legitimately thought that Betty attacked Jughead, even though she knew Jughead was alive. We said last time that we thought that the idea was that maybe Archie and Betty are in on it and Veronica's not and they're rolling with her punches. But the implication now is that she was involved all along. Which means I don't understand why she was doing any of her Unless stuff. Unless she was only involved once. That's what I'm thinking thinking once she yeah that she was involved at some point during last episode who knows i mean we can never guess what this show does it always exactly maybe that's why i'm like you know what who knows i'm going on the ship of this show and it's going to list from side to side and maybe a whale will come or a hurricane i don't know hey kevin did you find yourself a cw moment i do that Today I do that. Oh. Um, man, just one. Just yeah, one. I found a moment. I guess I could do that moment. <laughs> There's a lot of them. Um, the one I'm going to specifically go into is the fact when they're all sitting around and they got the call about Yale. There's like, ah, oh, Betty, you got. There's a spot open in Yale, and you got it. Because that makes no sense. She was rejected before Jughead even applied. Well, and also, uh, and also, the only reason that she was to like, like, the, I thought her getting into Yale would be used as a tool by the Stonies to be like more evidence against her. Like, oh, she killed Jughead to get into Yale. But it's just sort of a thing that is now a fact. So they could have that scene where Brett goes, "I guess it's just you and me at Yale then." I mean, I also am wondering if it's just a long plot so Jughead doesn't have to go to Yale so the characters don't leave Riverdale for next season. I mean, (laughs) before you finish that sentence, I thought you were going to say in-universe. It was a long plot so Jughead didn't have to go to Yale. (laughs) I mean, it is a plot so Jughead doesn't have to go to Yale. He did give up on Yale (laughs) by pretending to be dead. Unless it's a fake phone call. I mean, <laughs> well, I don't know if it's a fake phone call. I, I, do you think they would re- they would give him back his <laughs> acceptance? Like, oh, you weren't dead. Nah, I guess you can come back then. I don't see any. Here's the thing. I think that is a that is a situation that comes up barely ever. But I don't see why they wouldn't just like, oh, 
Okay, yeah, I guess you can come back then. Well, unless they already let someone else in, but then I guess they give him deferred admission. They'd be like, well, you weren't dead, so I guess you can start next year. I have to imagine that they would... They'll e- find space in their freshman class. I have to imagine they would make an exception. <laughs> Like, I, that's you, true. I guess they could find space for one person. Even if it's just like, well, usually, like, think of how many people drop out of university and colleges in the first year. They might just be like, you know what? We'll just do one more. I'm sure it's fine. It'll even out. <laughs> <laughs> what would you, Aaron? Did you find a CW moment? The moment I have chosen is the moment when Hiram Lodge tells FP to go on personal leave. Yeah, it... It, it drives no storyline forward, and the more you think about it, the more you're like, wait, but FP knows that Jughead is alive, so FP doesn't need to go on parental leave, so why is he so mad? Why is Hiram... Hiram doesn't know, but I think why F- is this scene happening? I think FP's just a, um, just a method actor. He's like, oh, I gotta, gotta keep the anger up. That's why Jughead <laughs> has to live in the sex bunker. That's why Jughead has to live in the sex bunker. Um, I... I do like how they think that the bunker in the woods, he'd be less visible than if he's at just hiding in, like, the basement of their house where they kept Chick for a while. Yeah, and they can just um, bring food downstairs and no one would notice. Yeah. But no, sex bunker. Sex bunker works. I, I... <laughs> and I even said seemed... to you when we were watching, I was like, he can't possibly be in the sex bunker because they know other people know about it and they know other people use it. Yeah. It seemed like it, it should have been the fake... Like, when, when Donna went there and caught her and Archie... It should have been a fake out. It should have been a fake out. Oh, can we mention that Jughead does say to Betty, it's a good thing we heard Donna... No, no, wait. Or did Donna think Donna they heard... Donna said that they heard Donna her. Donna thought that they, they heard her come down, then Jughead hid. I feel like Jughead also Jughead said... Jughead just some, said that he had to hide into the cot because he couldn't yeah, leave the bunker. Right. Um, so they knew she was coming. They knew she was coming. I... The, 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 sorry, going back to the, the Hiram and um, the FP thing... Um, that scene is just to remind the audience, I feel like. That, that Hiram is mayor? That, no, that Hiram and FB have friction, which makes me think they're going to be getting into those again. But it, that means it was literally just used for drama, to and, remind you of drama. And let us not forget, Skeet Ulrich leaving the show. Yes. There there are a lot of scenes in this episode that are that just exist to either remind you of a plot that already exists or just are there for drama reasons, really. I almost wish they had cut the documentary, yeah. except that then we wouldn't have gotten that awesome Reggie scene. Yeah, but someone could have... We That could have... Honestly, if that was just a cutaway gag between Kevin and Reggie, where, like... <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess the documentary, too, gives Alice a reason to badger Betty as much as she does, which <laughs> then makes Betty tell her mom. Yeah. Although I will never forgive Alice for saying, I know you killed him. I, I knew you were going to do something like this all along. Yes, I know you're a murderer. <laughs> you always meant to be a murderer. That just reinforced. You know, that explains why Betty's like this way. Um, maybe even, ever since she was a child, her mom was like, Betty, someday you're going to murder someone, and that's okay. I'll help you, but you'll definitely murder someone. And that's how Betty knew when she saw Jughead's body. She was like, I got to cover this up. Well, hey, if you... uh. If you like this episode, if you have thoughts on what Riverdale is doing, where it's going, what's happening, or do you just want to say hi to us, you can uh, get hold of us on like social media. It's all Podcast MOA, Podcast MOA, yeah. on Twitter, on Instagram, on Gmail. Also, give us your ratings, reviews, and subscriptions on Apple Podcasts and other podcatchers, for we are the first Riverdale podcast 
and our mandate must be known. And maybe, and maybe we'll be the last one. We will hold on. We will ride this transatlantic ship forever. So there's a whale there. You said a whale before. You've mentioned whales in your metaphors. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll keep riding the ship till the whale hits it. And then we'll ride the whale. And we'll ride the whale. <laughs> we'll see you next week. What is Donna's secret? Will Barchi be a thing? How? For answers to all this and more, join us next week on Mystery Outsiders and Abs. A teen drama fan cast? <laughs>